uh, for breakfast, uh, just um, a uh, an omelet, cheese, bacon, and um, mushrooms. Thanks, Mark. Uh, well, I think the number one thing for me is uh, that we're in a interesting period of time, and that um, there are, you know, it's a changing landscape, and, and mainly, I think that changing landscape means a lot of opportunities for us, um, both in uh, being able to know more about ourselves and behave better with that knowledge. Uh, where in the world? I'm in London, so uh, here on a surprisingly sunny day um, in, in a town which hasn't had too many, but I guess with the Olympics starting, we've, uh, we've arranged for good weather. Um, I, as many of you may identify, have a North American accent, an American accent, um, but I've been living here in the UK for about eight years now, and prior to that I lived in India, so it's been about ten years since I've lived back in the States. Um, well, it's an interesting question, and I don't know if I can give you an, a, a black and white answer, but I'll, I'll give you the best answer I can. Um, so I think that in some ways, um, where I've ended up has found me rather than me looking for it. Um, I have always been somebody who's been interested in, in change and participating in that change. I've also been someone who has been relatively active, um, but I think that for 15 to 20 years of kind of corporate life and traveling a lot, um, my, my health was coming down a little bit. Um, and uh, certainly when I saw photographs of myself, um, I was always a little bit surprised that, hey, I'm not as in good shape as I thought maybe I, I was. Um, and so, you know, I started to take more explicit focus on um, metrics and, and how uh, my body is behaving, uh, which is something that actually, in some ways, I'd already been doing you know, for a while. For, for seven years, I think you mentioned in the, in the kickoff of the show, for seven years I've been tracking body weight. And I, why did I do that? I mean, largely because I thought it was interesting. Um, it was easy enough to do. Um, it started out that I actually had to do a little bit of work myself, which was capture the numbers into a spreadsheet, but eventually it became a fairly automated process where, in fact, the, the data was just kind of collecting itself. Um, but now, you know, Meaning, in the last uh, say nine, nine to twelve months, I have I've kind of turned the corner and you know taken my natural 
desires to collect data uh, and made that more explicit and kind of really um, started to explore what's possible and, and how do I benefit from it, or in some cases, maybe I don't benefit from it. Sure. Uh, so um, it, it's a pretty wide topic. I think that um, my, my guess is that in 10 years from now, what, I, what I'm about to say is probably going to be um, obvious to everyone. Um, but, um, but at the same time, I think there's a tremendous amount of information and more and more digital information about oneself that is being collected, either collected because users meaning to or collected um, Almost, you know, accidentally, uh, potentially by other companies, by retail companies, and not by yourself. Uh, but there's more and more information about yourself. Um, and for me, the um, you know starting point for this was weight, as we talked about. But there was two things recently that I've focused on. It one is looking at my body fat and uh, deciding that uh, I wanted to target something lower than that, and using um, the, the that delta and, and the improvements towards my goals as a, a motivator. And secondarily, from a more healthcare standpoint, uh, my cholesterol was uh, was above what it should have been in every category. Um, I think uh, most not- notably triglycerides. Um, for those of you who don't know, triglycerides are a component of the lipid measurement that is uh, you, you have the most control over. Um, and so, so I looked at ov- overall, do I need to go on medication? And I try to avoid that by looking at my metrics and getting my cholesterol tested every three to six months. And uh, I've been able to um, lower my weight by 30 pounds, lower my uh, body fat from 23% down to 16.5%. Um, I've been able to take my cholesterol, which is, as I said, very high, down to what is just about in the normal range, uh, just uh, mildly above it. But the doctors I talk to all say that there's, there's absolutely no reason for me to go in on medication at this point because um, you know, I'm effectively in a very comfortable place from, from their standpoint. I haven't, you know, I mean, some of that is, is done because it's easier than it used to be. I mean, you know, I, I am probably, in some cases, not the poster child for doing it because it's easy. I did it when it was a little bit harder. But, you know, the great news is, is that, you know, if you want to measure your weight and you want to measure your body fat um, and, and you want to keep electronic records of that, it is so easy now. You don't have to do it. You don't really have to do anything more than you already do, which is a step on a scale. And the, the rest is kind of done automatically. Um, and, and, and that's one of my, you know, things that I that I think is going to change things for society in, in, in um, general is that the, you know, we're not lazy people, but uh, a lot of people will not go out of their way or don't have the time or can't find the time to, to do these measurements. The good news is, is that a lot of these measurements are going to be effectively no effort or very close to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, um, 
you know, I knew for myself that um, I probably are, I'm not the typical person, but at the same time, I, um, I, I find myself gravitating towards things that are easier to do um, in terms of tracking. And so I did a survey that was uh, picked up by about 150, 200 people around the world. Um, it was, I got participation from North and South America, uh, Europe, and Asia. And the basic the question was, uh, why, why do you track? What do you track? And is it because it is of interest to you or because it's easy? And overwhelmingly, the answer was, I track it because it's easy. And when it's easy, I find it interesting. And not, and not the other way around. You know, the, the exception, and you mentioned someone who has cancer. I mean, the exceptions would be those people who have chronic pain or critical illness. And, and for them, there's enough motivation to go out and, and, and take on a lot of effort um, just to give themselves a sense of control or hopefully to um, be proactive in, in their own health. Yeah, so Fitbit is a class, a category of, of measurement devices, and there's a number of devices that are sort of like the Fitbit. Um, and, and basically what's empowering these devices is an accelerometer, which people may recognize the term for because it is something that's actually in the smartphones today. Um, and, um, but basically it's just a, it's an electronic device that measures general movement. Um, so kind of similar in a way to what we used to use pedometers, accelerometers serve a similar function and they can... Um, very easily measure general movement. I don't see them as being highly precise tools, but I think they're actually one of the more powerful, more, one of the more interesting devices out there, simply because, again, they're dead easy. I mean, you, you, if, you, if you take a look at one of these Fitbits, they're tiny, they fit on, they, you can snap them onto your clothing, and they weigh nothing. They, they're not in the way at all. Um, and it's just a nice way of getting a little feedback loop going, which tells you, you know what, today you haven't done much. Uh, and, and there's little things, you know, I, there's been research that's been done. Um, I forget the guy's name, but there's a guy from the UK, uh, who was one of the pioneers, um, uh, for research on, uh, general movement and its relationship to, um, uh, life expectancy. And, um, you know, he was able to, along with a few other scientists from the U S, uh, show fairly conclusively that there's a very strong correlation between the two and that, you know, is, I think this number was chosen rather, rather arbitrarily, but you know, that if you walk 10,000 steps or more, that's kind of the general guidance that, that, that's out there today, which is, you know, that you will have a, um, you will be healthier. Uh, hopefully you will live longer. Um, and um, it's interesting because, you know, for a lot of people, you know, we all read the same papers and we all see that there's a, you know, a weight problem that started in North America and now it seems to be creeping through Europe. And, um, and, and we also know that we're, we, have, we live sedentary lives in front of computers, but it's, it's one thing to hear it or read about it and then one thing to be kind of told, well, that's you. The Fitbit has a, a way of doing that, uh, which I think is quite effective. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not aware of anyone taking a Fitbit and just feeling like they've been abused by it and that, oh, geez, look, yeah, it's telling me I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you know, not doing enough exercise because... There's actually so many little things you can do that, that, that people will find very easy to improve their scores. And that, that sense of improvement and doing something better for themselves, I think, is a very positive force. There's a, an ex-colleague of mine who um, 
know, he was a, I would guess his weight was probably 235 in pounds when he started. He was, he was, a, he was overweight. He wasn't, he wasn't obese. He was a, he was a big guy. Um, and it just happened that his job, um, was to be on the phone a lot. And, um, and so he would do that in front of his computer. And what he changed was he, he got a, a wireless headset and during the day he walked around the house. Well, he, he's doing incredibly well. I mean, and, and it frustrates me because I'm competing with him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, he, 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 um, he's getting about, um, you know, 15 to 18,000 steps a day. He's lost 40 pounds. He's, um, it's fairly dramatic, um, the, you know, the kind of impact. And, and this is all just during the workday, you know. He's not, he's not spending any additional time. It's just during the course of his normal routine. And for a lot of people, it's, it's a very easy thing to make an adjustment and come out, you know, ahead. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think that, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm also looking at with a couple of um, kind of uh, personal trainers in the city right now is, you know, creating a um, kind of high-end uh, personal training service for uh, people to uh, learn how to build routines uh, out of their own houses. Um, and uh, one of the things we want to be able to do is have some sort of a remote view into how much is this person exercising when we're not around. And um, by having something like a Fitbit, uh, and again, there are other devices like the Fitbit, so any one of those kind of devices, having one of those, and having the ability to kind of see that that person is exercising creates a nice accountability system that wouldn't be there otherwise. And I think that you know, that's actually an interesting element, which is you know, a lot of the messaging that's going out there today with terms of these fitness applications for the iPhone or for you know, smartphones in general is that it's about self-empowerment. And uh, that, hey, you know, here's a video on how you can do this, this, this exercise, and you go do it yourself. And, you know, that's great. And I, I, I really like the idea of self-empowerment. But I also think that it, what it doesn't mean is isolation. It doesn't mean that there aren't professionals out there like personal trainers, dietitians, so on and so forth, that they don't play an important role for some people anyways. And they also participate or will participate in a state of revolution. I think today, as we sit here, it's a little bit hard for them to fully integrate into that landscape. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do with company Life Gadget is, is to facilitate it so that you, know, you as an individual can share with, amongst a small group of trusted advisors what you're doing and create a, 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 um, you know, a data community that uh, allows for a personal trainer to kind of hold you to task and say, hey, you know, I noticed you've been you know, eating a lot of bad food or I noticed you, you, you said you did exercise, but I don't see it in your, in your general activity levels here.
Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I too kind of pride myself for being self-aware. Having said that, I, I also recognize that we all have some pretty gaping um, blind spots in terms of our ability to see ourselves. And, and I think some of that comes also into the fact that, you know, our kind of subconscious mind, the, the one that is, um, you know, largely responsible for alerting our conscious mind that there's something to pay attention to, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't notice long-term patterns. It doesn't even notice medium-term patterns. You know, like, for instance, you know, if, if your goal is weight loss, how much do you gain or lose weight between January and July? Almost everyone has some sort of seasonality in their weight movement. You know, if you've lost 10 pounds and it's June, is that just because you lose 10 pounds every June? Or are you doing something different? And, and, and you know, your, your gut feel is, is, is fairly useless at that point. You know, so the, these tools help you, I think, see the longer-term trends in, 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 in a way that you probably wouldn't have seen at all. And then in the shorter term, it also can kind of be a lightning rod and, you know, to kind of make you pay attention, make your conscious mind come in and say, hey, wait a second, why is this happening? You know, and, and, and maybe you don't solve that problem every time, but it, it's a good question to have thrown at you. And, and, and I, I find the exercise of, um, you know, having um, some interesting data, because sometimes, you know, this data... Is, is not perfect, right? And, and, and it's, it's, it's su- suggesting something and you have to kind of go on a little bit of an exploration to figure out what it, what it truly means. Um, but, because, you know, I think the things with Fitbit are beautiful because they're, they're quite straightforward. I mean, you know, you, you either did or you didn't walk. You know, your, your mood, however, is quite complicated. You know? Uh, well, the only thing that I did with the brainwaves really was, um, you know, having the Zio, which is the um, sleep monitor that measures the different stages of sleep by using um, a uh, ECG or, e- or EEG, other monitor, um, and um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Although after after I kind of understood my patterns, the usefulness of it wore off a little bit. But um, go ahead. Well, so I was going to say, let me say two things about that, but if you're right, I'll say three. Um, so uh, for, first, I think the we're in, if, if as far as a smartphone, we're in an interesting period in that, um, you know, some of you may know this, but um, the newest iPhone, the iPhone 4S, has uh, a technology called uh, Bluetooth 4. Um, I don't know that too many of the Androids have it yet, but I think, you know, in a year's time, pretty much all the smartphones will have Bluetooth 4. And and why is that important? It's important because it's going to encourage a whole set of devices. Some of these devices already existed, but um, other ones and other manufacturers of these devices will start to show up. And, you know, so these measured, these quantified self devices uh, will use the, uh, the smartphone as kind of a centerpiece. So the, the, the iPhone provides the network, it provides um, a, a display, um, and the sensor can s- simply focus on measuring something about your body. Um, and, and I think that, that that technology jump is going to be um, 
it's going to be an improvement. It may be a dramatic improvement. We may see a huge jump in terms of the number of devices that come out. Uh, my second point is that um, I think the um, there's an open question as to is the model I was just suggesting that of the smartphone being the center of a number of devices where there's a whole bunch of small little devices communicating through a smartphone. Um, that might be the model, but the other kind of architecture, if you will, is that the smartphone itself does everything. You know, so um, and the smartphone already has a tremendous number of sensors. Um, you know, I found myself. I, I, I'm a I'm a runner, and I I found that um, for years I really liked the Garmin Forerunner watches, which were a way for me to use GPS to track my routes and to get a, a, um, my heart rate as I was running. And, um, and and but now you know I don't really need that. I've got my I'm bringing my phone with me anyways because I like to listen to music, and that the phone can do all that. It has a GPS. In fact, the GPS is better than a normal GPS because it's got. Um, the cellular connection, which also helps along the GPS to tell where you are. Um, so I think that you know whether it is the smartphone doing everything or the smartphone coordinating a whole bunch of things around you, there is definitely going to be an acceleration of that taking place over the next couple of years. And the technology Bluetooth 4.0 is going to be a part of making that acceleration start to take off, take place. Um, the last point was that um, you know in, in, a, in a more macro sense, I think. We've all, um, hopefully, this uh, one's quite young, we've all kind of lived through this evolution of first there was the PC, uh, then there was the laptop, and now there's a the smartphone. And at every step, the tools that we use um, became smaller and closer to the body. And I think the next step is, to me, going to be it, the most important one, which is, um, you know, it probably won't be the Google goggles that you hear about today in the news. You know, there's going to be technology within the next 10 years, maybe within the next five, that is uh, effectively providing augmented reality. And I think that is really important because the way that we as people experience um, you know, our field of vision effectively becoming the display and, 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 and things being superimposed on top of that. It may sound very kind of 1984-ish to some people who are listening, but, but in fact, I think that um, it is a natural and, and accelerated part of our evolution as, as human beings you know, we've always been creatures of tools, and those tools are getting close to the body. This next step is actually people will experience that that technology as being part of themselves, and I think that's really interesting to see, psych, you know, from a uh, psychological standpoint, how people um, take that on, and and whether that means greater acceptance for um, you know measuring and then actually taking action on oneself because these devices seem like part of uh, the individual, or 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 not. Uh, Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the example I always use is, you know, you're, you're you're standing on the street corner and you think, God, I'd like to go to, um, you know, a, a Thai restaurant. You know, you can just say, I'd like to go to a Thai restaurant, and then subtly on, on the on the on the sidewalk, you see a tinted color that shows you where you should walk to get to the Thai restaurant, um, and and that just beca- or you say, you know what, I, I'm interested in buying this new Canon camera that just came out. Um, if there's a sale going on. I'd like to know about that. And as you're walking down this, the main street, um, all of a sudden, a little bubble pops out of one of these windows saying, 
hey, we have that camera you were looking for uh, 20% off. I think it is, and I think you know that process has already started. I mean, I think that um, it may be on the edges, but it's very noti- noticeable. Um, uh, even things like the con- kind of traditional relationship between client and patient, when you go into the medical medical system, the healthcare system, um, I think that is already changed. You know, the the amount of information that one can Google um, and go into your doctor's office uh, with, you know, you know. Real questions. Uh, potentially, you, you know, being a non-medical person, you might be misled, but you have a lot more information at your fingertips, and the conversation is less about just listening to what the doctor has to say. Um, and I, I think that, to me, uh, that's actually one of the things I'm really quite excited about. I think that that dynamic changing, um, while I'm sure there will be some kind of um, bumps in the road along, as we as we transition, is a is a hugely positive thing because I, you know. Um, in a very different world, I used to help a lot of um, trading companies uh, implement trading systems. And uh, especially when it comes to commodities trading, which is a physical form of trading, there's a lot of very deep subject matter expertise involved. And so I, you know, I was involved in helping to build one of the largest trading, global trading systems uh, out there. And, and there's a real you know, push by this um, oil company to, um, to have it be done by a whole bunch of subject matter experts. And my pushback on them was, I absolutely want subject matter experts involved, uh, but if they're left to their own devices, they'll just build it like they've always built it, and we're trying to make things better. I want a bunch of people who are more generalists interacting with the specialists. And, um, and there was a lot of resistance to that idea, because in general, oil companies are fairly conservative organizations. But, um, but I think that... Um, in the areas where I was able to create a change, there was a um, you know a positive uh, um, reaction to that. And likewise, in the medical profession, you know you're not going to be because you have a better Google search, smarter than your doctor in terms of medical uh, knowledge, but you're going to be more interested. And you know the combination of you as a generalist having tools where you can research things and coming in to the doctor and challenging him uh, means you're going to get a lot more out of that doctor. And you two acting as a team is a is a really powerful thing that doesn't exist in the traditional healthcare sense, and it, it probably doesn't exist in too many uh, doctor-patient relationships today, although for myself, it's something that I've been experimenting uh, and kind of being very, being very careful to kind of note, you know, how people react to my behavior, um, you know, because one of the things I've heard is that, you know, if you want to get the most out of a doctor right now, basically, you've got half an hour with this person. The first five minutes, that doctor is trying to figure out what box do you get put into, and the next... 25 minutes is trying to get you, you know, comfortably packaged off into that box and out the door. Uh, if you come in with some questions, kind of upset that process, you will get much higher quality care. And uh, and some of those, some of the doctors that I've been exposed to, really resist that. And other ones actually, um, 
seem to be quite happy to do it. And, um, and I'm hoping that, that that latter reaction is the standard reaction going forward. Yeah. What are some of the consequences? Um, well... It is. I mean, so, uh, you know, I mean, if just to go out and show an entirely different parallel, I think one of the things that um, there's a couple of startup companies, two in the U.S. and one in the U.K. that I'm aware of, maybe there's more, um, that are um, focused on the field of CRM, customer relationship management. And basically their their view is, is that things are exactly backwards from what they should be. You know, the current world is that the, the retailer uh, built up a database and they solicit and maintain and manage these relationships with their customers. Um, when in fact, it should be the customers who engage in the relationship, or it should, at least should be bilateral, but it should be more driven by the customer saying, I have a relationship with this, co- this company, and I'm willing to participate in that relationship in, in X, Y, and Z ways. Um, and, you know, so it, this is an example, this is an area in which, you know, especially the big retailers, you know, there's a lot of knowledge these retailers have about you and I, and in, in our behaviors, um, to some degree, in a generic sense, you know, understanding based on what category we fit into, you know, you know, white male uh, lives in England, whatever. But also in other cases, very specifically about me, um, they know more about my re- buying behaviors probably than I do. Um, uh, but more than anything else, you know, the um, there's a, there's some sort of ego or uh, gratification that these retailers come from having these millions of people in their database, when in reality, you know, you and I have all, we've all been exposed to a marketing campaign by a company that maybe we even liked at one point, but at some point they start to over-push their, their, their content and you start to become annoyed. You either, in best case, to the retailer, you stop paying attention. In worst case, you actually start to resent the retailer for doing that. You know, if I, as the consumer, was able to just say, I don't want to hear about this anymore and disconnect from that. It would put, um, you would, would drop the numbers that the retailers have in terms of customers that they have a relationship with, but the customers they have a relationship with would actually be a real relationship. That makes sense. And so I think that this whole area of CRM is, it's completely outside of health and fitness, which is what we've been talking about to some degree. But it is also another area about personal data that, that is being managed largely not by us, but by the retailers. And I think that maybe that will start to shift. Probably the large retailers will have a hard time shifting, but the small and medium-sized companies who don't have the resources of the companies uh, are probably more likely to be interested in, in that or at least willing to, to try out that, that new range.
Yeah, I mean, you know, there was um, a period in the early 20th century where kind of the, the traditional English gentleman was quite actively involved in science. You know, they, they, you know whether it be astronomy or other forms of, of, of science, here, these people with, that were, you know, had education in a broad sense and, and had um, some uh, access to, 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 to resources, um, they were able to contribute in, in a meaningful way to this. And, you know, I actually wonder if we're not kind of going back to uh, a time in which we as individuals will have interesting observations and insights that in a lot of cases, you know, our observations may be only interesting to us. But in other cases, there may actually be something there that is um, of broader interest and that can be uh, effectively leveraged by, if not the overall community, at least a, a subset of it. So I think that, um, you know, it is um, a opportunity for people to make observations about themselves. And also, actually, I guess let me, let me step back. There's another important trend here which is unfolding, which is I think the idea of one size fits all is definitely from an economic standpoint, the medical community has to kind of behave that way and pharmaceutical companies have to behave that way. They build um, solutions for the general population. And we as individuals don't have to behave that way. So when we have the tools to measure ourselves, we can treat ourselves as an individual. And um, I think that's hugely powerful because, um, you know, there's very little uh, institutional knowledge right now about a bunch of individuals. There's just a, a lot of knowledge about the general population. And, and those aren't the same thing. Um, so so there's, there's all sorts of room for discovery and, and real realizations that are sometimes potentially at odds with the, 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 the facts that have been determined by the, the medical community out there. And, and until now, we really haven't had maybe the, the mechanics of, of, of getting at that information. Now, I think we're starting to. I think the thing we have to be careful of, of course, is that a bunch of people who don't really have the medical training we're all prone to jumping to conclusions, and we can easily jump to the wrong conclusions. So there, there is, and I think this is one of the things that you know, people who are in the healthcare system are, are worried about, and, and, and to some degree, rightly so, that um, you know, we will um, we'll make a lot of mistakes you know, in the process of um, self-diagnosis. And, that, you know, um, you know, I, and, and I think that's right. I, I personally think that the best answer is to have the, the traditional medical um, society to kind of embrace the idea that people want to participate and facilitate the conversation. It's like the you know, traditional child and parent relationship where if you're an overly strict parent, you know, your, ch- your child may, may experiment with alcohol, but they're just not going to tell you. you know? um, if the healthcare system is you know, just admonishing us for trying to treat ourselves as individuals, we're probably going to do it anyways. If they instead come to us saying, you can do that, but before you jump to any real conclusions, come talk to us and let's together come up with an answer. That to me is the best answer in most cases. Um, you know, anything that goes beyond the, the simple stuff. Well, I mean, I think there is, um, there is, I mean, and, 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 you know, again, I think if you look, I mean, when I was growing up in, in the, um, you know, seventies and eighties, you know, it was, 
a period in which if someone had plastic surgery, they were the most vain Hollywood actor or actress. And you know, it was really just to be scoffed at, you know, yet now fast forward today, plastic surgery, at least some forms of it are pretty getting to be pretty common. And, and so the kind of the, the, a thing, which is our physical appearance um, and, and likewise, I guess our, 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 our health, there were certain things that were kind of off limits that we, we, you know, we all had, uh, and they were part of us, but we didn't really have any control over them. And, um, and, and yet these are things, especially like physical appearance, that people care very much about, and they'll, they'll obviously go to great lengths to improve upon. So I think there is a, you know, um, a risk in uh, kind of the escalation of, you know, the, there's all this press now about how photographs and magazines are too picture-perfect. Well, you know, what if you can actually start to move towards the picture by getting, you know, plastic surgery or have some sort of corrective procedures done, whether they be genetic, um, you know, uh, or, or, or um, you know, under the uh, laser or whatever, whatever techniques. And um, I think that is, um, that could be damaging. I think being willing to accept ourselves for who we are to some degree uh, is a good thing. And, and, and not to be ultra competitive with our, with ourselves is, um, is, is, is something we don't want to lose um, in the process of effectively being given the tools uh, to, to do a lot more things in, in areas that were at one time completely off limits. Well, but you don't want to look skinny yourself. You want other people to think your skin looks skinny. <laughs> yeah, so I think it has something to do with like a virus you have to put into everyone else's glasses. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. I mean, we we are not all narcissistic in some way, and and um, I think that you know when we talk about kind of being allowed to experiment on ourselves as lab rats especially when there's this great pressure, which is social acceptance, you know, and, you know, you're not, you're not tall enough. You're not, you know, you're too fat. You're, you're ugly. You're this, you're that. And, and, and people want to maybe, maybe they're willing to take on more risks just because someone told them, Hey, this is okay. Try this out. You know, uh, um, I think that there will be some mistakes made based on, you know, the, the real pressure that exists even today and, and will probably just increase. In uh, as more options become available to people. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to come up in this argument being on the more um, promiscuous side than on the data privacy side. I mean, it's interesting because I actually, from a technical standpoint, I understand um, data security fairly well and at a fairly detailed technical level. 
Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I guess I don't um, discount the topic at all. I think it is something that um, I'm glad that there are people who are kind of outraged and, and feel that, um, you know, at least concerned, if not um, that things are already, you know, being, they're, they're being uh, wronged in some way. And because it's, it's that kind of pressure that kind of keeps um, the governmental agencies, which are typically not acting as Big Brother or being trying to be evil, but really they're just trying to make their own lives easier. And, and the problem with this is that, you know, as we move into an area, there's a lot of gray areas. As technology moves forward faster than law, you know, you have opportunities. Like, for instance, there's been a lot of reports recently about the, um, the number of, I think this was the U.S. stat, but uh, the number of people who, uh, government requests uh, from the um, phone companies for um, data downloads, full dumps of all the, the, the phone calls that people are making. Um, because they don't have to go through the same due process there that they would have to to get a, a, a wiretap or whatever. It's just easier for them, and they get a, they get a, they're getting a huge amount of pressure with, in a lot of cases, a reduced workforce um, to provide, um, you know, do, do their jobs, which, whatever, whatever that may be. So they're just looking for an easier way to do that. Once they get used to having some consideration, it's really hard to take it away. You know, so the opportunity to, 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 to I think, play a role in the privacy debate, the best role, I would say, of all is to have enough people who are in some way representing the people's interests who are, who are in that area that's kind of ahead of the, the legal community, um, but that they're able to activate some sort of legal de- uh, process, even in lightweight sort of way, to kind of steer these agencies who, aren't, who are easily steered in that stage away from things that would be troublesome in the future. That, that to me, but but then I've been trying to figure out. And I, in fact, I've been asking people who who know about this more than I do. You know, is there a commercial model? Is there a company that could effectively represent the people's interests, uh, not just in marketing, but actually in genuine terms, interest the people's interests, uh, and make money off of that? Because to me, um, uh, call me a capitalist, but I think that a company that's making money is a company I trust will. You know, progress their ideas more than one that just has good intentions. Well, I think we are um, going to start to have, um, in the Western world, is going to start to have some real economic consequences of the baby boomers getting older. The healthcare system needs to have some better ways of addressing the health of, of the population. Um, so, you know, if no changes are made, if no progress is made, I think we can count on our, the economy and general health, economic health of the, of the, the world probably uh, to be poor for, for quite a long time on the whole. Uh, and um, so, you know, purely from a kind of economic reality standpoint, I think we, 
we need to see some of these improvements, which would, under broad uh, mantras, fit under, I would say, proactive health and, um, and uh, bespoke health. So not treating everyone like a, a number or categorizing people in the group, but treating people as individuals. Um, those two trends, uh, it hasn't been proven yet, but I think that certainly there's a, a growing belief that proactive health, kind of attacking health problems before they actually become health problems, is got a lot of potential to, to help that situation. Um, likewise, I think that we're probably, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, we had um, a lot of medical achievements that um, led to um, longer lifespans um, and, um, and and greater health. In in the 21st century, we're likely to see another kind of jump. Uh, in the early 20th century, it was about child mortality more than anything else. I think that in the 21st century, we're likely to start to see, you know, some forms of cancer and some of the major killers that are out there today. It's, we're starting to have answers for those, and as as we do, um, I think the um, you know the quality of life that goes along with the actual longer life is really important. And uh, I think that um, you know, a lot of this quantified self stuff, maybe not by itself, but it leads to a path where we're not just living longer years numerically, but a higher quality life through those years. Well, think about this, Mark. I, I, this, one of the ideas I've had recently is, uh, you know, metrics around stress levels. Um, you know, when you're looking at, you know, changing jobs, let's say, um, you know, a lot of our lives are in our professional work, and we spend a lot of hours there, and, and, and it, it, it's one of our kind of key sine waves in terms of how we're doing. Well, what if, when the process of looking for work, we were able to see how well does this employer treat their employee, or at least, you know, how stressed from a relative standpoint, is employer A versus employer B for the same sort of job spec. Well, not only that, but I mean, so the first stage is that people start to change the behavior towards those companies which do it, and then, of course, the immediate reaction is employers start to realize that they can no longer afford to uh, um, ignore these things, and they're now looking uh, directly at this as something to improve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's that's bound to happen, and I think that, and, and it'll be this kind of golden era of about ten years where you know really positive things are are, are changing in the workplace, and then the, the employers will find some way to game it up a little bit, um, and uh, and then we'll be back to kind of spy versus spy, and it'll go back and forth, but. Um.
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think for me, um, you know, there there are different reasons why metrics are interesting to me. But one of them is definitely, you know, I would consider myself a a goal seeker. You know, someone try, you know, I'm motivated to try to achieve goals um, and, and quantifiable goals in particular. So, so for me, one of the challenges now is that I think the um, kind of eighty twenty rule I, I I knocked off. I I dropped a lot of weight. I lowered my cholesterol rates, and I'm not saying that was easy. In fact, a lot of people are. are you know, impressed with how much I was able to do that, but but now that that's done, you know, so what's next? What 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 are the next set of metrics that I can tackle, and you know, will they pr- provide me the same sort of motivation? Because probably the next set are going to be a little bit less uh, linear in terms of uh, immediate and, and observable improvement. Um, so what I you know, I mean, so for me, the, the right now that the two goals that I have are. Um, well, I want to run a marathon, which is not a metrics-based thing. Well, it's a metrics thing that I can move my body 26.2 miles, but um, but it, it, it sort of provides some motivation for my overall running program. And the other one that's more kind of a QS measurement is uh, is body fat. I, so it's something that I had looked at before, although I was, I was probably looking initially more at just weight, because um, the weight is a, is a proxy for so many things for us in, in society. But but now the the weight number isn't as important for me. I'm going to the gym and gaining strength, so I'd I'd be okay if the weight number went up, if as long as the body fat came down. And um, and that is um, something that um, I haven't had, you know. And, and I've I've really only shifted probably in the last um, two and a half months or so. But I still I've been bouncing around a little bit, and I haven't been seeing kind of the same straight line linear uh, um, targeting that I would like. Um, and um, it's not. It's, it's, I would. I don't think. It, I don't find it discouraging yet. But I. But I. I, I do think that um, having at least one of the things that you're tracking uh, be something that you can, at least week on week, kind of see movement in is uh, is a good thing for me. And, and and I. I don't. I don't really have that explicitly right now. So I am kind of looking for another goal. Um, and I don't know what that would be really. Um, but but I'm I'm in, in search of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, that's true for a, a lot of people. Is that the kind of explicitness is um, is makes it feel more real, uh, whether it really is or not. I, you know, it's debatable. But I think, I, but it, but for me, it definitely helps. And um, you know, which is why, like, you know, I think that you know, for things like mood and stuff, I see the value in it. But I haven't done that myself because it is a little bit more qualitative than quantitative. Yeah. 
I think the, the obvious first starting place is just going to the Quantified Self um, blog. Um, on the, it's a blog which has kind of regular um, news stories and blog entries and so on, but it also has some resources on the site, including um, there's a part of the site that has um, a lot of links to different devices you know, that people might be interested in, so including things like the Fitbit, and, but, but a whole lot of other, other devices as well. Well, they are, and you know, I think the um, the, the the important thing here is that um, by getting better, um, it is it's it's a number of different things. So it, it is better sensors. The technology is getting better. The price point is getting better, and there's also a, a real retail focus, a um, you know a, a mass focus. So when when a brand like Nike attached, because Nike is one of the companies that has a well, they have a number of devices really, but uh, they have a device they just recently released that's kind of like a Fitbit. Um, and, uh, you know, what they're really good at is finding ways to make it both attractive, kind of attractive, cool, and really easy to use for the mass consumer. And, um, and if this thing is going to be as big as I'd like it to be, you know, um, then it needs to go out to the mass consumer, even though going out to the mass consumer rather than being this niche sport that it has been, has some downsides to it. Largely, it's a positive thing. And, um, and, and you can see that the writings on the wall, the companies that are in there doing that are, are, are definitely behaving as if it were a mass sport. Yeah. Uh, well, um, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll uh, point to two things. One is... Uh, just from a personal standpoint, maybe less interesting now, um, I've been blogging since 2001 um, at, under the Ken.net um, uh, domain name. Uh, but then um, from a professional standpoint, um, there's uh, LifeGadget as a company, and, and the URL is lifegadget.co. Um, there's a blog there, um, which, which I haven't been posting on as much as I should be, to be fair. Uh, I probably will get back to that again soon. But I'm really focused right now on getting the product out to um, some customers and start getting some feedback, which I expect to happen in the next uh, five or six weeks. Yeah, thank you, Mark.